Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and today on Connections Radio Show, we're going to talk about truth. Part of our truth comes from the media, our mediated sense of truth. And our social media has become really powerful. And for the most part, it's left unchecked. Journalism standards are not adhered to. And those in the media are either put on pedestals or demonized. And our reality can often be reinforced by the media outlets we choose and the folks we follow on our social media. Admittedly, I am on the radio. I'm on the progressive voice of Minnesota, AM 950. And I'm glad that you're listening to this media. And I, and I want people to access the media. But it feels like we're in the wild, wild west of the media age. And I want for us to talk today about the connection of our media to our reality and the divided country we're in. And take a deeper look at what we've been seeing imploding over the last years or years, especially this last week. In 2020 and early 21, which also feels like the fifth quarter of 2020, the media gave us perspectives on the initial impeachment, the rise in the spread of the pandemic, the economy in freefall, systemic racism, social justice marches, the presidential race, the presidential race being contested, the Georgia Senate race, the insurrection, and the second round of asking the president to resign or being impeached. And through it all, our, our shared truth continues to decay. Wasn't there a time when one plus four really equaled five? But now I, it seems like I'm told with really great anger and certainty by some that four is an imaginary number. It's conspiracy, their lies, their baseless accusation fueled and creating mayhem, anxiety that we find ourselves in. We've had the greatest job losses since 1939. Blacks, Hispanics, and teenagers are hardest hit. The last seven days, 1,595,790 new cases of the pandemic, the, of the COVID-19. We have a total of 21,539,398 total cases. Deaths were up to 364,029 cases. Again, disproportionate impact on blacks and, and Latinx. And there are folks who still believe that it's a hoax and we don't need to wear a mask, that the numbers aren't real, that this is all overblown. Anger flamed by the president who used Twitter to claim that the presidential race was rigged. Interestingly, the question of the rigged elections were mostly attacks on the large urban areas where the votes of diverse multicultural communities were questioned. Well, now his Twitter is being taken away. Uh, that's great. But there's still two realities or maybe even more than two realities. I was taken aback by both Mitt Romney and Mitch McConnell on um, <laughs> after, uh, uh, during the insurrection or right after the insurrection. And moved by what they said, uh, I never thought that I would have a quote by Mitt Romney and Mitch McConnell, but it's powerful stuff. We gather today due to a selfish man's injured pride and the outrage of his supporters whom he has deliberately misinformed for the past two months and stirred up action this very morning. What happened here today was an insurrection incited by the president of the United States. Those who choose to continue to support his dangerous gambit by objecting to the results of a legitimate democratic election will forever be seen as complicit in an unprecedented attack against our democracy. They will be remembered for their role in this shameful episode in American history. 
that will be their legacy. That was Mitt Romney. And then Mitch McConnell. We cannot keep drifting apart into two separate tribes with a separate set of facts and separate realities, with nothing in common except our hostility towards each other and mistrust for the few national institutes, institutions that we all share. So we're going to talk about mediated realities. We have unequal truths, and um, the social media is still very much inflaming uh, a variety of truths. My first guest is playwright Stacy Dinner-Levin. She is someone I follow on Facebook. Uh, she is an amazing writer and thoughtful person, and um, I was moved by a lot of her posts this week, so I have asked her to join me today. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, for the kind words. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Well, I was moved, you know, on Wednesday morning, uh, you posted in such a beautiful way, Warnock and Ossoff are two beautiful men, a gift to have these men in the Senate if they were from any state. Never thought Georgia would deliver them to us. Tell me about that. Tell me about that moment. Oh, well, you know, what I remember thinking that morning um, as I was getting ready to get dressed and go off to work, and I was really dreading January 6th. I think a lot of us were like, this whole um, certification that's going to happen in the Congress is the last hurdle we got to get through here, and it looks like it's going to be, you know, messy and miserable and even, you know, very anxiety-provoking. But and, after and that, I thought then, it was going to be just a very long day, that we were going to have yes, hours I thought it was going to be a hours. long, long Yes, drawn yes, out, drawn yes, out. Into the night, yes. into, you know, just miserable, miserable. And I was, and, and I think a lot of us were feeling, you know, after all that we've been through, I mean, this kind of anxiety, he can't really stop this. Right, right, you know? right. I mean, we just wanted it to be done. And and then after the uh, special election and Ossoff and Warnock won, just amazing, just amazing. And I remember waking up and I was just on cloud nine and I was like, um, this day can't get me. <laughs> oh, man. We're good. We are good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Famous last word. Well, so there, there was joy. Thought, there was absolutely, <laughs> you, you looked at everyone's Facebook that morning. There was joy. There was such, Yeah, you know, I was just going to ride that cloud through this day and then we were on our way. Yeah, but um, then, then you know. something happened. Yes, so I thought, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching and I was, you know, listening to the various people get up and objecting and all of a sudden it was like what's happening? Suddenly there's people coming in and taking pence away. What what's up? Right. Right. And it was right. real time media access to Right. And there was I sensed, I mean I expected that I expected that there was going to be some rioting and some, you know, counter protesters and there would be some dust dust up that were going to happen and it could get kind of scary and ugly, I, 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 I didn't see this. No. I mean, who no, did? No. Yeah. Well, when I go back to after seeing your post before the mayhem started, the first thing that hit me when I read your post was how powerful it was to see uh, a black man and a Jewish man be our senators from Georgia. And, yeah. and I immediately yeah. went back to the Freedom Riders and went, oh, my gosh. Yeah. They fought for the right to vote, and and now the man who was Martin Luther in Martin Luther King's church is now going to the Senate. A brilliant 
Jewish man who has been able to point out the the future in such eloquent ways is going to be yeah. part of our Senate. And, and wow. at the same yeah. time, I felt this pain of like that the memories of those uh, freedom riders that needs to be blessed, that needs to be honored. And then I was right. so moved that your first reaction to that was putting the painting up on your your Facebook that image. Oh, that the Norman Rockwell. Um, I don't want to misquote it. Murder in Mississippi is yeah, that what mur- it's Murder called? in Mississippi, depicting the killing of Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner. Yes, yes. And uh, so um, we were talking about how it was so not um, what you typically think when you think Norman Rockwell. Right. Um, and, and, and then this piece, this just powerful um, um, piece that, that he did. And... Yeah, I mean, you were the one I think in our conversation on social media that drew that that mm-hmm. connection together, mm-hmm. and it made me immediately think of the Rockwell piece. Um, <clears throat> and the image is so and, strong and so beautiful. And then for me, the contrast later to see the images of the racism that's still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have that moment of thinking. Of foolishly thinking that we have overcome, yeah, yeah, you know, a black man and a Jewish man in the deep South, liberals, right. both liberals, right? Who you know, just a few short decades ago, within our lifetimes, yes. um, could have easily been killed for um, saying the things that they were saying and for promoting. Um, um, voter registration and and getting out the black vote and getting out the youth vote. I mean, that's that that's what caused the deaths of those Absolutely. men not so long ago. And so then you think we've had the moment. We've right. had the moment where you know where we have um, you know stepped out of that. And then and we're then, rudely reminded. I mean, <laughs> yes, horribly immediately. Reminded. Immediately reminded and, 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 as, and as was, a Confederate flag goes through the state capitol, and then the the Camp Auschwitz, so it's not the state capitol, our nation's our capital. nation's capital, and then the the Camp Auschwitz on this man's t shirt, yeah, and yep, the and t-shirts, the t-shirts that are just horrendous, and and yep, and yep. and if for uh, people who don't know the, I'm sorry, no, the, go ahead. the go people ahead. who don't know the the t-shirts that that we're seeing that have the. Um, Six M W E. That stands for six million wasn't enough. And the horror of that it, it, during the very yeah, moment, the very moment that Asaf is being determined the winner, we are seeing mm-hmm. men with those T-shirts marching on our nation's capital. Yep, in our nation's capital. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just astonishing. And at the same time, we also see. Some policemen that are taking selfies again. Social media. I mean, it. it, it yeah. What insanity is this? Yeah, it it is. I mean, we're so we're still so in it. I think that we haven't fully processed, and I think yeah. you know there will be books written, yes, and movies yes. made <laughs> about well, this day. Well, what, um, and yeah. what, one of the other things I wanted to bring up um, is that I've also been really admiring this last year you sharing about your son Jordy. And your worry about yeah. him being in isolation and the art that he has created. Um, that's just yeah. beautiful. Just beautiful. And and I believe that in looking at our our mediated reality, there is a way of of sharing our truth and sharing our truth through art. 
that's so healing and so healthy. And I just I wanted to make sure I gave you a shout out with that and an opportunity for you to share a little bit about his art and how how people can see his art. Oh, sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, uh, you know, Jordy is um, is my son. He is 30 years old. He has autism. Uh, he lives with us. And he has um, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, COVID has affected us all. But for people with disabilities, um, it has basically taken away everything in his life. He's not a person who's going to be on social media. Um, and um, have other ways and other outlets to kind of be a part of the world. He's, it, he has a day program um, that was his whole world, and it has been cut um, tremendously, partnership resources. He only goes half days now, and it used to have an art program that was very important, and he never did art as a child. Um, he only started making it art as an adult, and Partnership Resources was very instrumental in um, opening him up and bringing him to art. And his first instructor told him, there's no mistakes in art, Jordy. So his art program went away, and um, we made arrangements for him to continue to do art with his instructor who lost her position um, at, at Partnership Resources because they could no longer fund it. And um, so he does art with his uh, instructor at home via Zoom, and we set up a makeshift uh, studio in our office, and every Saturday morning he works with his instructor. And because he is getting this kind of one-on-one attention at home, it it worked. We didn't know if this would work, but it did work. And um, we've seen him really, his art, he was doing some great stuff before, but it's really had an opportunity to to um, open up, and um, he's doing some tremendous stuff. So I have a friend who is a graphic artist, because I'm posting his art online and on Facebook all the time, um, Very Proud Mama, and a friend contacted, contacted me and said, you know, the images he's creating are very marketable and you can put them on Redbubble and they will put them on products and they will sell them. So that is something we've started doing and it has been surprisingly successful. Um, and people have put, put his images on greeting cards and on t-shirts, on mugs, you know, whatever they like, face masks. So you can check out what Jordy's doing on uh, Redbubble and the store is under my name because it was um, it was my original Redbubble account. So it's Stacy S T A C E Y D L, uh, just all one word and lowercase for the D L. So the only uppercase is uh, my the S in my first name, and it's S T A C E Y D L, and it's on Redbubble. And I invite anybody to just visit and look at these really wonderful whimsical, delightful images that he's been creating. I'll also post it on our uh, Connections Facebook page. So, Stacy, thank you. Okay, thanks. Thank you for thank your time. You. Uh, you know, it's it's about the images, you know, for me. And it's, it's about how do we create Absolutely. images that through our art can create, you know, our truth and our meaning. And how do we how do we survive um, getting right. through this I, very I difficult it, time? You know what I, I said that me being on social media all the time is you know the first thing I said when Trump was elected was art will be our salvation. Yes, 
because I could think of nothing else that would be. Stacy, thank you. Thank you for joining us thank and share, you. sharing your yep. wisdom. We appreciate it. And we'll be right back after a few commercials, and we'll be hearing um, from two other wonderful women that are dear friends of mine. Uh, Beth Chaplin, who is a teacher and uh, communication specialist, and Rebecca Hill, who is a chief development officer in St. Colette of, of Greater Washington. And we'll, we'll talk about their perspective as well on, on our mediated realities. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And today on our show, we're talking about truth. Part of our truth comes from the media, our mediated sense of truth. And we've got a divided sense of truth in our country. And we have some wonderful uh, women who will be joining me to talk about that. And how is it playing out? How are we surviving? How are we making sense out of this? What sense can we make out of it? I have Rebecca Hill, who is the Chief Development Officer at St. Coletta of Washington, D.C. And I have Beth Chaplin, who is a teacher, communications specialist, uh, performer, artist, and um, just an all-around wonderful person. These are both women who I respect and who are on my social media. I, I wanted to pull from my social media because we're talking about social media. Uh, how, how are we um, learning from our social media and what are we noticing? Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Rebecca, we've known each other for decades. Um, we lived in D.C. together years ago. And uh, I know that you live and you work in D.C. And I know that there's a perspective of being on the ground in D.C. that not everyone really gets. You, 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 know, the, you can hear it a little bit in the news and whatnot, but not, not the lived reality. Uh, and I'd love to have you share about what is it like right now? In D.C. And, and what was it like leading up uh, to the Proud Boys rally? Well, I live actually in northern Virginia, but, you know, I work in downtown D.C., um, maybe like uh, not that far from the capital. I mean, you know, probably maybe possibly a 20 minute walk. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, I didn't go to work on Wednesday because when the Proud Boys and these white supremacists were here a few weeks ago, you know, they were very violent and um, so, and they, their the intel was that they were going to break up into smaller groups and roam the city. So I just didn't want to be caught up in that going to work. Um, because I have a women can stop Trump bumper sticker on my car <laughs> and, uh, and I don't want to have to take it off. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be intimidated. So I didn't go to work on Wednesday and I didn't go to work on Thursday, uh, when I went on Friday, the, the National Guard musters across the street from my office. You know, the place is like an armed camp now. It's very, uh, you know, there are na- National Guard from di- many different states. There are police, state police from many different states, and they're all over. The Capitol is now ringed with a huge eight-foot unscalable fence, and there are guards all around it. And it is no longer the open people's house that it had been. I think I was telling you earlier that in the winter, it's Capitol Hill because it is built on a hill. And in the winter, local children, uh, when it snows, take their sleds and they go sled down Capitol Hill. Well, they won't be doing that this winter. And the the mood since the election, I mean, we had an election and, and Biden won, but 
not according to uh, a lot of people that are, are Trump supporters that believe that it was an illegitimate election and they're fed by his Twitter and they're fed by social media. How does that play out in D.C.? How does it play out in the neighborhood? How does it play out in, in people interacting? I think the residents of the city were hoping that things were going to get better, that, that government was kind of going to go back to what would they would consider a more normal. Many of them are federal workers. They are tired of being demonized. Uh, and so I think people thought that it was going to get better. Um, and that we could just wait this out. I don't think anyone thought that um, that this was going to happen, that people were going to really, you know, be this violent. There so, were bombs. There were guns in people's cars right. that they're finding. I mean, they're uh, – the, the running around in our nation's capital, I mean, it, it just um, – and the and the and the capital is really in a neighborhood where people actually live and walk, and people who may have nothing to do with government might be walking by the headquarters of the RNC or the DNC to go to work, and they might have been killed by those pipe bombs when they have absolutely nothing to do with any of this. So the the potential for innocent lives to have been taken was huge. Now with this sort of. The inauguration coming up, and in some ways this was a great stress test that obviously failed, that we need to prepare in a better way because a lot of those things that scaffolding that they were climbing on were for the upcoming inauguration. Um, the inauguration at the same time as an impeachment. I mean this is it's, – it's, it almost is a slam dance in your head of like how, are, how do we hold both of these realities together? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so how does it feel out there with that? I mean, are, are, is it just people are stunned? It's very tense. I think people are very are, are very tense in the city, waiting to see what the next few weeks will bring. Um, there is talk on some of those parlor things about coming back on the 19th to Washington, D.C. So uh, I think residents and people who have to, like myself, who have to go downtown on a regular basis, we're just, you know, we're tense. We're worried. And I will say that the curfews, came out here to Virginia because those people, they didn't stay in hotels down in Washington, D.C. because they can't afford it. So they came out to the suburbs to stay. So, you know, it's affecting the whole area. People are, people are tense. People are angry. They're angry that people would come to our city and try to destroy it and bring this kind of violence to it. I would also offer that it's... Lori Beth, you talked about the slam dance in our heads. I'm sitting here hearing from Rebecca that there are there's incredible security, and that both comforts me that there's now more security, but it also makes me incredibly sad and disturbed that that has to be. Anybody who has wandered Washington, D.C. as a tourist finds great joy in wandering our nation's capital. And now to visualize it that way is really disturbing. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the things that this shows us is that, you know, the lack of National Guard that we had on Wednesday is that Washington, D.C. needs to be its own state. Yes. Part of the delay in the National Guard was the fact that the mayor cannot call out the National Guard on her own. She is not in charge of those people. The president is in charge of those people. 
And that was because it's Washington D.C. and it's yeah. not her state. Wow. So and if why this were ever delay? to happen again, if we were ever to have another president who who would, you know, I think it 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 made this no longer just a political thing that, you know, all the residents of Washington D.C. and there are more residents in Washington D.C. than there are in the state of Wyoming, who pay taxes and are unrepresented. It's no longer just a political thing. This was about safety. The hours of delay on the National Guard was her pleading for them to come and Trump ignoring them. And then finally, Vice President Pence was able to get through to the Pentagon and convince them to come. And then, of course, there was delay in them getting there. And Pence asking because, you know, we're hearing chants of, you know, basically kill kill Pence. I mean, right. (laughs) He's please, please come save me, if nothing else. Well, right. I'm going to need to take a break. Uh, tough images, tough dealing with the connection to realities and, and people's lives and and how does that impact us and what do we need to do and how might this be something that we need to um, take as a cautionary tale of what happened in D.C. could be happening at our capitals, uh, 17th and the 19th, as spread by social media. So I'm going to take a break. We'll come back and uh, Beth's going to share more with us about looking at kind of our mental health with all of this and our mediated reality and um, how do we deal with this and what, do we, what, are some, what are some things to think about. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And we're talking about truth our mediated sense of truth, the variety of truths that seem to be out there, and how our country is breaking down and not having a shared truth. And what do we do about that? And and what are what's on the horizon? And let's just talk about it. And I've got two wonderful women joining me to talk about it. Uh, I have uh, Rebecca Hill, who is the Chief Development Officer at St. Coletta of Greater Washington, and I have Beth Chaplin, who is a teacher, a communication specialist, a um, a performer, an artist uh, that has that are both part of my social media. I, I, I track them both in, in their wisdom and what they share. And since we're talking about social media, I thought I would bring their voices uh, to our conversation today. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Beth, talk to me about uh, – well, first, I want to share that one of the things that moved me about a post that Beth uh, – that I read is that she was dealing with someone that was um, angry and uh, not believing her and um, it was a rude exchange. And she took the higher road and she was talking it through with this person about what she believes and, and her truth was being shared. And I, I'd love to have you share a little bit about that, Beth. Yeah, I I'm going to back up just a second sure. to to bring this to the more personal for all of us. We we've been drinking from a fire hose of <laughs> yes. news coming yes. at us. Yes. And a friend of mine sent me an email and I can't cite where the quote came from, maybe him. But if we view the national situation the last 4 years, uh especially on Wednesday, um when we look at our joy at the election of Ossoff and Warnock, and then, of course, what happened throughout the day. He said, it continues our role as children of a wildly dysfunctional parent. You might come home with the news that you'd just been named a National Merit Scholar, 
But dad chooses that day to set the garage on fire. Yeah. And uh, that just contrast is, it, it threw us all into our triggers from any dysfunctional relationships in our lives. Um, so to take that to social media, I, I've always loved to talk politics. I grew up in a family of Republicans. I come from a long line of Republicans. And my whole life from my teen years to now, we talk politics. So for me, it's a very natural thing. I think for a lot of people, it's new and really hard. It's really hard in the age of Trump to talk politics. I've been challenged. But I try to go back to, okay, who is this person? And did I like them before? <laughs> did I love them before? Did I respect them before? I try to cling to that. Um, and this, this particular conversation was with a friend that I, I don't know real well, but I've enjoyed time with him. And he posted a meme. Um, he was not okay with the censorship of Trump on social media. So we had a conversation about that. He posted a meme of four Democratic women, um, four pictures of each of them with fire raging behind them, um, and taking short quotes about the protests continue. And, and he compared that with what Trump had said. So I decided rather than to be triggered with an angry response, I tried to unpack it with him. And the purpose in my conversation, often on social media, is to show that, hey, not all us liberals are as crazy as your social media paints us. Yeah. So I try in my interactions to seize that opportunity. That's not to say I've never unfriended anyone. I have a couple because I'm just tired of mediating fights between my friends. But I try to have a goal on my social media communications and a purpose. Um, I don't say anything if I wouldn't say it to that person's face. I don't send angry. Um, I, I avoid the rabbit holes that they want to pull me down, usually, um, because they want you to get in a circular argument um, and it, I disengage if my blood pressure goes up. <laughs> Here it is. And, sorry, I've got to go now. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and you know, it, it's always respectful. Checking the blood pressure. This is now yeah, beyond my, my level. <laughs> and it's respectful to say, you know what, we just have to agree to disagree. And that can close a conversation without injecting yeah. anger. You, you quoted Mitch McConnell about the hostility yeah. of the two camps. Yeah. We can't change them no. with hostility, and we maybe can't change them at all, I, but I, hostility, anger, insults never solved any problem. I did try this last week. There was someone that I was interacting with who was you know, calling me an elitist and you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, we'll just agree to disagree. It's like, no, this is bigger than agree to disagree. Uh, yes, he was, yes. Fa Fauci's evil, and if you don't agree with me that Fauci's evil, then, then we can't – and I'm like, well – I'm just going to thank you for wearing a mask and I'm going to continue wearing a mask and whether or not Fauci uh, was wrong or not, not to promote masks early, I'm ready to let that go. <laughs> I'm ready just to wear a mask. So yep. 
and and still in yep. that there there was still an engagement there's there's this you know, how do we resist the the getting enticed into trying to make a point when the point's just going to be gobbled up uh, right and and, right. and and yet at the same time I, I it's like i don't want to be complicit by not saying something yes yes and that that's where we fall into the rule of don't say anything on media that you wouldn't say to their face in person and don't send a message angry. Pause, think about it. But we, uh, that's not to say we roll over. That's right. not to say we don't speak our truth. We must speak our truth. But if we want our greater dialogue in society to be more respectful, we must practice that first. And, and I'm saying that not that you know, I'm a therapist or anything like that. I just have found that it works for me. And I'm a happier human if I speak my truth, but I do so respectfully. And I disengage if it gets too angry. Mm -hmm. But I speak my truth first. It's hard to know um, the navigation of of the wild, wild west of social media. And and when you know that journalism and and standards, when you quote like, well, the Washington Post, it's like, well, I don't believe the Washington Post. That's all lies. When, when yeah. you don't have yeah. that, okay, what can we have as a shared reality? Or then, okay, we'll just agree that we don't have a shared reality, but then we have things like um, the insurrection. And I'm not saying that we can stop the insurrection, but – and I'm glad the Republicans have you know come to the table and decided it was a good idea to, to speak out on this. Um, and I too grew up with, you know, a father was Republican, my mother was a Democrat. I mean, I, I, I became. Yeah, that's hard. Well, actually, it was kind of interesting. I mean, I, I think I, I don't hate either party. I mean, I don't. I, of course, I'm a Democrat, but I, I don't. I, but I, I just feel like the Republicans have really lost their way. It's not really the Republican Party anymore, and and I don't know how to deal with um, this created reality of uh, a reality star, quote unquote. Uh, pretending to be our president, and and, right. and these last days can be very dangerous. And the Republican well, Party know, has a lot to sort out. Yeah, go go for it, Peggy. I think one of the things we're talking about social media, and we're talking about people, you know, not believing the Washington Post. And I think one of the things that we have to look for in in legislation is that, you know, one of the ways we stopped yellow journalism hundred hundred years ago or so is we created libel laws. Mm-hmm. And so the Washington Post and Mm -hmm. the New York Times and any print thing has mountains of fact-checkers because they can be sued. Yes, yes. I mean, they fact-check everything. They fact-check an obituary submission. They fact-check wedding, uh, you know, announced, you know, wedding things. If they write up your wedding, there was a case where they were writing up someone's wedding and the groom had said he had gone to Yale, and they fact-checked it, and indeed he had not gone to Yale, which was a shock to his bride. (laughs) So, um, seriously, that's how much they fact-check. But we don't have that when people post things on Facebook or Twitter. Or any, and and they then they don't want to have responsibility, but I think they have to have responsibility because yes, free speech is not saying whatever you want to say. It, that's not true. It's not telling lies about other people. That is not what free speech was supposed to be about. So I think that for us to all the fact that we don't have facts anymore, we have people who truly believe whatever they're, they're reading on social media, because they don't read things that are fact-checked, and they live in this world. We have to rein in social media, and if you post stuff or you host 
somebody that does this, you are legally liable. Yes. And the same you know, way so, that, so that they rein that in. But, and it will, mm-hmm. we will not have this instantaneous kind of, uh, you know, of communication. But we, you know, we, we need to stop having this instantaneous communication because people, as Beth has said, don't stop and think. No. I think back. I think back of when I was working with the American Cancer Society, and you know, we gave them all the information that was true. But people said, "Oh, that's not true." You know, that we can't believe that that really causes cancer, even though there's like science that we show that it does. It really took legislation to stop allowing people to smoke in public that that curbed it. And so, I think you make a good point. You know, laws. We need to write work for laws. We're not going to be able to. Save the day on social media, obviously, but maybe we can get behind some really good laws in the future of what what needs – during the stress test of these last four years, what have we learned that now needs to change and that we need to you know, fully embrace for laws yes. that, that yes. in moving forward in our new – with our I new – That's you know, why – go ahead. Dominion, Dominion – the people who have the Dominion um, voting machines are now suing Sidney Powell. Because she yes. is claiming that their machines changed votes, which is, of course, completely not true. But they're suing her for over a billion dollars, which I think is a great step. Yep. If you if you get out there and you say things about people like that, they need you know uh, they're you're going to sue you, and there's going to be a price to pay. That is the only way people will stop standing up like this and sprouting these massive lies. Is if there's a price to pay. And perhaps even books don't get published, thinking about Mr. Howley. Yep. Well, <laughs> with that, I need to take a break. I've run over, of course. Uh, but we'll be back. And um, in our last segment, I want to talk a little bit about uh, not only what can we do with Biden and laws in the future, but how else can we you know, look to art, art to help uh, make sense out of us all. So stay with us. We'll be right back after just a few announcements and commercials. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And we've been exploring truth and art and legislation and how to cope for the next 11 days. And I've had some really wonderful women joining me. Beth Chaplin, who's a teacher, communication specialist. Rebecca Hill, who's the chief development officer at St. Coletta of Greater Washington. Rebecca, thank you for sharing with us about D.C., what's it like right now. Uh, Beth, thank you for your insights on you know how do we cope on social media? What what are ways to to express our truth? And I know we only have a few minutes, but I want to make sure that I give a shout out also to Saint Coletta and the work Becky Rebecca <laughs> that you've done um, in developing their art program. Um, I'd love to have you share just a little bit about that and um, how art has made a difference in the work that you're doing. Well, St. Colette of Greater Washington is a non-sectarian nonprofit that serves significantly disabled people who have intellectual plus usually physical disabilities with, um, and from ages three through all through their adulthood. And there's a great deal of pressure from um, local state governments all over the country to have people with disabilities work. But the problem is that nobody wants to hire them because they... Um, they have lots of limitations on how much they can how much they can work due to their benefits that they get from the federal government, etc. So we decided to create our own business for them, and it's called Coletta Collections, and you can see it at colettacollections.com. And they make uh, jewelry, 
They make beautiful tableware and home decorative items. They weave lovely scarves and make great um, handbags and tote bags. And they get paid for their work. And it's and gorgeous, the, high quality. And Just it gorgeous. is great, gorgeous, high quality. And I have to say they um, – and so the difference about this is it's uh, – when you shop there, it gives back. And during the pandemic, which, of course, our studios had to completely close because – you know, and they have been closed. We did some work remotely with by sending some kits home, but there are only certain things we can do with that. You can't send a loom home to weave on. Um, is that we've had really great uh, business during the pandemic because people right now don't want to spend their money on pieces of crap, right? That mean nothing. They don't. I mean, people don't want to do that. So we have actually done more business this year than we have ever done because people want their money to mean something. And so that's been great for us. Luckily, we had some reserves that we have been able to fill our website with. And, um, you know, we're slowly right, bringing artisans back as things open up. We hope that they will be some of the first to get vaccines in the coming weeks so that um, they, can, they can come back to work, because many of them are very bored at home. So um, anyway, that's what we do. And it's a little social enterprise, ColettaCollections.com. And we employ about 50 disabled people on a regular basis to uh, work with us. And we hope to grow it. And and I am a proud um, owner of scarves and jewelry that I just adore from Coletta. So I wanted to make sure. And and that is a way when you, if you're if you're not an artist, how do you invest in art so that you can make meaning out of all of this crazy times and, and supporting artists who are doing beautiful work um, during this pandemic is, is so important. I also want to give a, a, a shout out to the folks at Art to Change the World. Uh, they've got a great Facebook page that I would love to encourage you to go to and give a like. Uh, look at their art. Uh, these are artists that, that want to change the world. They, they believe that our art um, is our truth. Um, is how we express who we are. Uh, the specific purpose of Art to Change the World is to create opportunities for partnerships to defend human and civil rights and to protect the environment. So give them a like and, and consider buying art from our artist and community. Do we have time for one more shout Yes, out? yes, yes, yes. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to, I am an actor by training, a speech theater communications education trained actor. Our performers on stage have not been able to work since last March. And as soon as the theaters open back up, I just want to say, go, buy tickets, flood the box office, fill the audience. And theater is a live and exciting audience and actor-artist experience. And uh, it's important. We don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that, that live connection. Thank you both for your insights, your wisdom, your time, and for talking about how do we navigate this crazy time and looking back at this crazy week. And we'll look forward to a better, better life ahead in the years to come. Thanks for joining us today on Connections Radio.